Hello, welcome to another episode of Litigation Speaks. I'm Richard Claywell, and we're going to talk today about why you would potentially have large variances in values between two experts. You would think that two valuation experts would be able to come up with a number that is really, really close. A lot of times that does not happen. So why does that not happen? One of the things to think about is the experience of the individuals that are doing evaluations. You've got someone that has minimal experience and someone that has a lot of experience to make a difference. That is recognized by the valuation credentials that they hold. The more difficult and respected the valuation uh, designation, the probably better work product that you're going to get. Some of the items that can cause the differences between the, the, the two experts is the difference in the information that's received by both experts. And we're going to talk a little bit about these topics as we go through here. The access to management, the difference in evaluation methodology that has been selected by either of the two experts, the inadequate normalizing of the financial statements, the different assumptions, and just making a mistake which is, is going to happen. The difference in information is, in my viewpoint, critical. When you're involved in a litigation case, uh, depending on what side of the, the engagement that you're on, you have access to management and you have access to all the documents. You can question somebody to get clarification on what's going on with this. If you're working for someone that is not in control of those documents, it gets to be more difficult. You have to take a lot of the information that you get with a grain of salt. It's very difficult sometimes to verify some of the answers that you're getting from them so they become suspect. They may not be able to answer information related to the financial statements and the non-financial statement information that you get. So it depends on what side of a case that you're on uh, as, as far as the different types of information you're going to get and, and be honest the quality of information. Access to management. When we do evaluation, we need to talk to management. Hopefully you'll be able to talk to the management that's in control of the company. And by control, I mean who is operating the company on a day-to-day -day basis. If you have a minority shareholder that owns 5, 10, 15, 20% and they're not actively involved in all the detail of management, they're not going to give you as good quality of an answer as the individual that owns, say, 50% or 40%, but they're in charge of the day-to-day -day operations. So it depends on who you have access to and how often you can actually go in and get information from them. A difference in the valuation methodologies. There are three approaches to doing uh, business valuation. There's an asset approach, there's a market approach, and there's an income approach. It's commonly recognized that the income approach using discounted cash flow is the most highly recognized methodology for doing that and produces a better answer for doing that. It's a lot more difficult to do that. A lot of people don't know how to do that. And so they'll revert to using a capitalization of earnings or a capitalization of cash flow. You don't get as much detail, in my opinion, using those capitalization processes as you do if you use a discounted process. 
So that can have a major impact on the actual conclusion of value uh, that you come up with. The inadequate normalization of the financial statements. Normaliz normalizing the financial statements means looking for the anomalies that are within the financial statements and are those anomalies going to recur in the future? If they're not going to recur in the future, then they should be eliminated or adjusted to what they would be in the future operations of the company. One of those adjustments that, that typically is made, and, and I was criticized on this in a deposition, is adjusting the shareholders' compensation to fair market value. On a particular case, I adjusted it. They weren't taking out a lot of compensation. So what you're looking at is what is replacement management? If I was going to hire somebody to do this job, how would I have to pay them? So that's what you're trying to do is get to that hypothetical replacement compensation. And when I did that, we wound up showing more compensation should have been paid, i.e. if we're going to hire somebody, we have to pay them more. And that reduced the profits. And that was the argument for not doing that, is that it arbitrarily reduced profits. But that's not the case. You're looking for what is that replacement management compensation going to be. So there are a number of different items like that that, that need to be normalized. Uh, another would be charitable contributions. Let's say that you have your company make contributions to United Way, your church, or whoever it happens to be. And I'm in a different religion than you are, or the hypothetical buyer is in a different religion. Uh, they're not going to continue to make those contributions to United Way, just as an example, uh, or to your church or whatever. So those items would come out there discretionary, and it really have nothing to do with operating the business. You want to look at the assumptions that are being made. There should be a section in the report for limiting conditions and assumptions. A lot of times they're combined. But the assumptions are important to take a look at to see what it is that they're doing. One of those assumptions that, that is critical is what is the valuation date. If you use different valuation dates, then you have different measurements for the point in time that you're trying to determine the value on. I try to get, if we're involved early enough in the engagement, is to get both of the parties to agree that they're going to use a valuation date of whatever. And to me, it makes no difference what the valuation date is, but if you're valuing a company at June of, of a time period of, of a specific year, and you're doing it in December of the same year, there's a six-month spread, there's a lot of things that could happen between those two time periods that could really impact the value of the company. So using the same date, I think, is really important. The appropriateness of the evaluation methodology is an assumption. Again, I made a comment a while ago why I believe that the discounted cash flow is superior to other methods. If you don't use that, then what's the justification for using actually the discounted cash flow? What's the justification for using the discounted earnings? What's the justification for using one of the capitalization models that you use if you're going to wind up using an income approach. The methodologies for forecasting. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to project what we think the revenues and the profits are going to be in the future and then get the present value of those today. Bring that back into, the, into today's dollars. What approach are you going to use to make that forecast? There are several different methodologies that you can use to do that. So in this particular case, which one is the most appropriate and why. So both sides of the case would need to justify why their methodology 
is the most appropriate, why the forecasting methodology is the most appropriate one to use. We want to look at the normalizing entries, not just the compensation, but the, the discretionary expenses that, that, that's happening with the company. We want to take a look at those and make sure that all those are being done. If we have discontinued operations, we stop doing something, then we would want to take that into consideration. If we've added a new product line, we want to take that into consideration. So there's a lot of factors that go into uh, what this is. There's just some plain mistakes. One of those mistakes is using a market approach. And when you do, you have transaction databases. The information for those different databases is gathered differently and reported differently. So if you go out there and you take the three or four data sets that we have and you combine all those to come up with one number, technically that's incorrect because the data is being reported differently and you're not really 100% sure on how that data was accumulated. We want to use information that's known or knowable as of the valuation date. If it was not known or knowable on the valuation date, it's irrelevant to the valuation. So sometimes people will go out and use information that was not known or knowable and bring it into the report because it helps their side of the case. The limiting conditions uh, should be listed. So you want to take a look at that and, and the assumptions uh, and make sure that that's all included. It gives you some idea of what's going on. It gives you the mindset of what the valuation expert is really trying to do. So this podcast, YouTube, and blog talks about the uh, differences, why there could be differences in uh, evaluation report. I appreciate you watching. Uh, be sure to subscribe. You can see some of the other topics we've talked about and be informed of what we're going to talk about in the future. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.